There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. One of the things I've always found ironic about icebreakers is that they can create exactly what they're meant to avoid. Awkward conversation. But I have to admit, icebreakers can be fun, and one of my favorites is Two Truths and a Lie. Um, so recently on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, Jimmy played True Truths and a Lie with Dr. Phil. Here were Jimmy's three statements, two of which were true and one a lie. I attended the final taping of Seinfeld. I have never seen the movie Titanic. My pickup truck has a working popcorn machine in the back. What do you think was a lie? Guesses? It was that he'd never seen the Titanic. And Dr. Phil guessed it right. Pretty impressive. So you can grab someone for lunch today and play the same game. It will be awkward and fun. But the reason I start with that this morning is because I think we often have a hard time telling who is a true Christian, especially in our community where it's relatively commendable to be a Christian or to claim Jesus. We can struggle to differentiate who loves Christ, who's a, really a Christian, who's merely calling themselves a Christian with no real desire to follow God. On our passage this morning that was just read for us by Megan, the Apostle Paul makes clear what marks a true Christian. A true Christian has the Spirit of God dwelling in him. So throughout the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul has been writing a careful treatise about the gospel. How man is sinful, but God has provided a solution by sending his son as the righteous one dying for his people. And he's gone on to show how those who trust in Christ now walk in new life. We no longer are under the power of sin, even though we may still wrestle with it. And in chapter 8, Paul arrives at a sort of conclusion for his argument in chapters 5 through 8. And as we look at the first 13 chapters of this, 13 verses of this conclusion, let's see two basic truths about every true Christian. First, Christian, you are no longer condemned. Second, Christian, you now walk in the Spirit. 
So first, Christian, you are no longer condemned. There in verse 1, Paul says, therefore, pointing back to what he's argued in the previous chapters about how we are no longer in sin, but in Christ. We're no longer under the dominion of sin, but under grace. And here he concludes then that there is no condemnation left for those who are in Christ. The funny thing is, Paul spent much of his letter laying down evidence after evidence for why everyone must understand that there is condemnation for us. So in chapter 1, he said that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He said in chapter 3 that none is righteous, but all have sinned. See, Paul remembers what we often try to forget, that God is holy, perfect, and just. And so when his creation turns its back on him and his law, he's just to bring judgment on us. If he did not condemn, he would no longer be God, for then he would no longer be just. He would skirt justice and shortchange his holiness. We've already been reflecting on these elements of God's character this morning, right? We've read Exodus 20. We've sung about God's holiness and our sinfulness. We've prayed about it. We've recognized that we deserve the condemnation of God, not because he isn't fair, but precisely because he is. And what's worse is that this condemnation we're under is something we can't escape. Our sin defines us. We cannot avoid judgment. But then Romans 1, Paul summarizes one of, 8-1, summarizes one of the most beautiful truths of the Bible. For all who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. For all who are united to Jesus by faith, there is no condemnation. How can that be? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That word law refers not to the law of Moses. It will in the next verse, but not in this verse. Instead, it's referring to binding authority. So in a sense, Paul is saying the binding authority of the Spirit of God has freed us from the binding authority of sin and death. The power of God has set us free from the power of sin. The question remains, though, how can this be? Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, when you and I couldn't escape, when we were powerless under God's judgment, when we could not move ourselves out from under his wrath, he acted. God has done it. He has done what the law could not do. See, one of the great functions of the law, and the law here in verse 3 refers to the law of Moses in the Old Testament, part of which Amy read earlier. Part of that function was to show his people how much they couldn't please him, how much they needed him. That law perfectly represented God's perfect character, provided a way to be right with him if you kept the law. But notice there in verse 3 that the law was unable to save us because of our sinfulness. It was weakened by our flesh. In our sin, the law operated not to save us, but it operated kind of like a makeup mirror. Do you have one of those where you look at it and you're like, oh, that's my face, and then you turn it around and you're like, oh, wow. I can see every pore in my chin, right? That's the law. It shows every single blemish in our hearts, but it can't save. Because of our sin, the law is like a doctor who brings us in, diagnoses us with a serious illness, but has no final cure. The law cannot save sinful people. But friends, God has done what the law could not do. He has done it by sending his son. 
He sent him, Paul says, in the likeness of our flesh. So that is bearing our weakness, our temptation, and our humanity, but not sinning. Paul says he sent him for sin. That's a concept of him being an offering for sin. He sent Jesus as a sacrifice in our place. When he died on the cross, having committed no sin, Jesus willingly accepted all the sin you and I will ever commit if we trust in him. The cross was a legal procedure by which the God, God the judge, placed all the guilt of his people on an innocent man, pouring out all his wrath on Christ. As M.L. Lone puts it, Christ was for us in the place of condemnation. And now we are in him where all condemnation has spent its force. Christian, all your condemnation has been used up. It's been spent. Christian, right now you are not condemned. You don't need to spend time moping around after you sin in order to be acceptable again to God. Your freedom from condemnation is not in any way dependent on you. It's dependent on what God has done for you. I mean, just let that sink in. Right now, you are not condemned. Why is that so hard for us to believe, church? How often do we confess with one another that we still fear in some way that God will judge us? I think one of the ways we evidence that fear is by resisting the need to confess our sins to others, right? It's easy to confess pride or anger or selfishness, but at least I often refrain from sharing the deeper sins of my heart. The sins that are deeply embedded and it just be too painful to root them out. Christian, what's that sin for you? If you are in Christ, hear this. That sin, all of it, has been placed on Jesus. You don't bear the penalty anymore. It doesn't need to weigh you down anymore. Give up trying to control it and trying to control what other people know about it. Confess it. Turn it over to God. Find someone you trust in the church this afternoon and share it with them. Ask them to help you seek Christ. I think another way we don't believe God no longer condemns us is by constantly fearing the condemnation of others in the church acting in such a way as to gain their approval at all costs. Do you see how when we are bound by the approval of others, we aren't truly believing God is pleased with us in Christ? Church, God has not condemned us. Instead, he has condemned sin by condemning his son in our place. The divine gavel has fallen on Christ, not us. Verse four, the righteous requirement of the law is now fulfilled in us. So everything the law of God demanded from us is now true of us in Christ. What wonderful, unbelievable news. We're free. In Christ, we're totally and abundantly free. The law had created a jail cell around us and we were awaiting God's judgment, the gallows of God's judgment. But as the great hymn puts it that we'll sing in a second, his eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Christian, if you are in Christ, you're no longer condemned. Why do I keep repeating that? Because we can so often forget it. How are you not believing that truth this morning? Where has your own guilt robbed you of this joy? 
Charles Spurgeon reflects, come my soul, think about this. Believing in Jesus, you are actually and effectually cleared from guilt. You are let out of prison. You now have a right to approach your father's throne. No flames of vengeance are there to scare you now. No fiery sword. And here's the point. Justice cannot strike the innocent. Christian, you're innocent. You're declared righteous by the perfect king of the universe because he's given his son to buy your freedom. No condemnation. But notice the rest of verse four. Paul knows that the new life we have in Christ doesn't end with no condemnation. No, this glorious new life produces in us a life led by his spirit in which we become more like Christ. The spirit is mentioned over 10 times in these verses because the spirit of God is closely at work to do what? To apply to our hearts what Christ has done for us. This new freedom we have is not freedom from God. It's freedom to God. Paul elsewhere says we were slaves to sin, but now he says we're slaves to God. We're not free to do whatever we want, but we're free to walk in the spirit, free to live the way we were created to live. That's freedom. Christian, you're no longer condemned. And secondly, you now walk in the spirit. True Christians walk in the spirit. Look in verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Paul's showing us here there's really only two different kinds of people in the world. People who are in Christ, who have the spirit, and have a new mindset focused on God, and those who are outside of Christ who do not have the spirit and are focused only on the things of this world. So how do you know you're, you have the spirit? You know, Christians often talk about the spirit as a sort of add-on for super godly Christians. The kind of Christians that become pastors and missionaries, right? They have the spirit. They're extra close. So what you need to do is pray harder, work faster, and do better to rise to that level, right? Jesus is enough. But the spirit is another level altogether. Christian, listen to God's word in Romans 8. If you have placed all your trust in Christ, you have the Spirit. You don't need any other greater access. You don't need to get a first-class seat on Christian airways. The Spirit is yours because you belong to Christ. He's in you, hard at work to apply the work of Christ to your heart, massaging it deep down into your being. One author puts it simply, living according to the spirit means living as a justified person. Or using the language of verse one, living according to the spirit means living as a person who's no longer condemned. Christian, if you're in Christ, you have the spirit. Of course, scripture tells us we can be better or worse attuned to the spirit's leading as we give into temptation to sin, but we never lose him. Doug Moo writes, however much we may need to grow in our relationship to the Spirit, however much we may be graciously given fresh and invigorating experiences of God's Spirit, from the moment of conversion on, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within us. And Paul goes on to show this. 
that what it looks like to walk in new life is to set our minds on the things of the spirit. That is to be controlled by Christ, not our sinful passions. He says all the life and peace that we desire, that the world is running after is found only in the Holy Spirit. He's not something separate from the gospel. His job is to give us a deeper grasp of the gospel. That's how we grow. That's how we find assurance. So Christian, Romans 8 gives you two joyful tasks this morning. First, you must relinquish any way in which you're trying to grit and grind your way to being free from God's judgment. You're already free. Don't buy into the devil's lie that you still need to earn God's favor. And secondly, and just as important, Christian, you must be diligent to walk in this new life you have. You must be vigilant to resemble your heavenly father as his son. Remember what Jason read for us earlier from Galatians, where we saw the works of the flesh alongside the fruit of the spirit. That might be a good place for you to start as you think about whether you're walking in the spirit. Because as we pursue God, our lives will bear more and more fruit. We can never please God in our sin, like Paul says in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But we're no longer in the flesh. We are captives of Christ. I love the assurance Paul gives us in verse 9. So he's just set up this difference between those who are controlled by their worldly mindset, non-Christians, and those who are controlled by the Spirit of God. And then he assures the believers he's writing to, and as your pastor, I assure all of you who are members here who have placed your trust in Christ, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That is a truth about you. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You can be sure that you will face no final death, no hostility from God, no more condemnation. Now, sometimes we go to events where we have to put on name tags. It's always interesting to see what people write. Some of them just put a little slur so you don't really know what it is anyway. But I always write mine clearly. And usually in the course of those events, someone that I admire will come up and be like, Jacob, good to see you. And my head will just blossom to twice its size because, my gosh, they knew my name. Obviously, my reputation precedes me. And then a few moments later, I'll look down. I'll be like, oh, yeah, moron, you have a name tag on. That's what that's for, right? This actually happens often for me. Christian, what do you want written on your name tag? Do you know that because of Romans 8, because of the gospel, your name tag will always say, in Christ, not condemned, indwelt by the Spirit. Your identity this morning is marked by who you are in Christ. And the Spirit is working to make that more and more of a reality in your heart. And so in verse 10, Paul can write that Christ is in those who belong to him. Not only are we in Christ, but he indwells us by his Spirit. And what he's doing is assuring us that even though our physical bodies may die, he will raise us up. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. 
The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Can you believe how amazing that is? I mean, I can understand someone wanting to be a good athlete. But if they just said, you know, the spirit of LeBron James dwells in me, you would think they're crazy, right? Or if the next contestant on The Voice says, I have the spirit of Adele residing within me, we'd know she's nuts. But friends, something much more ridiculously wonderful is true of us. The spirit of God dwells in us. And just as he raised his son from the dead in victory over sin and death and hell and Satan, so he will finally raise us up in victory forever. Church, what a joy to consider these truths this morning. True Christians are no longer condemned. True Christians walk in the Spirit. If you're here and you think, well, I don't know if that's me. Or even if you're here and you just know, yes, I'm not a Christian. I just hope you can see how much joy there is here for you. There's so much joy in knowing this Christ. There's so much joy to not be condemned anymore. There's so much joy to walk in the Spirit. Are you looking for freedom from guilt? It's here. Are you looking for for comfort in suffering? It's here. Place your trust in Christ and you will be saved. Talk to me or talk to someone sitting next to you afterwards. We'd love to share with you more what that means. And brothers and sisters, Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, what might it look like for us to walk in the Spirit? It's such a, a phrase that can seem so vague to us. Three things as we close. First, Christian, rejoice in your freedom. Christian, rejoice in your freedom. This morning, you may feel burdened by sin. You may be trying your guts out to try to control it, hoping it won't rear its ugly head so others can see it. Brother and sister, don't hide it. Don't hide it. Let's work together to build trusting relationships within our church family where we can experience the truth that is already true of us. We're not condemned. The cell door is wide open and we can walk through it together as we resist the sin that remains and fight together. Just imagine the worst thing that you know about yourself and then tell yourself that sin is no longer placed on you, but on Christ. Why are you holding on to it? Why are you holding on to its guilt and its embarrassment and its shame? That shame is Christ's. Confess it freely and find the freedom of Jesus. Second, Christians, strive to look more like Christ. Strive to look more like Christ. If your life looks more like the works of the flesh in Galatians 6 than the fruit of the Spirit, this afternoon might be a good time for you to take a good, long, hard look at your soul. Ask another trusted Christian who knows you well to help evaluate whether you're in Christ. That's not a scary thing to do. That's something all Christians are called to do, to evaluate whether we are in Christ. Because nothing is of more importance than that. Seek to grow in holiness. 
mean, after all this passage on walking in the spirit, that's where Paul goes in verses 12 and 13, right? So then, brothers, if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus dwells in you, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We don't, have any, we don't owe that anymore. We're not under any obligation to obey the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Church, together, we can put to death the sins of the flesh. We can do this because the spirit of, the spirit of our almighty, infinite, all-powerful, supreme, holy, just, all-knowing, glorious, sovereign, majestic, faithful, all-present, loving, patient, merciful God dwells in us. He dwells in us. His power is at work in us. Don't waste your life calling yourself a Christian, but not knowing what it's like to kill off your sin that's killing you and becoming more like Jesus. Finally, Christian, read the Bible. Christian, read the Bible. That may sound like the cliche Sunday school takeaway, right? But in Ephesians 6, we see that the word of God is the main weapon in the Holy Spirit's arsenal. Paul calls it the sword of the Spirit. So if you find yourself this morning and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm lacking affection for Jesus. I'm not really thinking about him day to day. I'm just not sure. I, th I think I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Go home and unsheath your sword. Grab your Bible and read, read, read. Ask the Spirit to do a work on your heart, not by some mystical magic, but simply by revealing Christ to you in the pages of his word. Meditate on God's word. Digest it. Memorize it. Share it. Pastors and preachers are not the only people that can understand God's word because every Christian has the Spirit of God. So every Christian can use the sword of the Spirit of God. You, Christian, no matter how much you feel you understand about the Bible, you can open it and you can understand it and read it and know God better because you're walking in the Spirit. So rejoice in your freedom, Christian. Strive to look more like Christ and read God's word. Let's rejoice, Loudon Valley Baptist Church, that we are no longer condemned. Let's embrace that in all the freedom that it is. And then let's walk confidently, diligently, and humbly in the Spirit. Because by His grace, we will grow in becoming more and more like our beautiful Savior until we see Him face to face. Oh, what a day that will be. Let's persevere and endure together until that day. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that our faith is not simply something that is about us, part of our bio. Our trust in Jesus is what defines everything about us. God, we're all yours. So Spirit, come break down our walls of resistance continually. Break down our walls of pride and fear 
Fill us with the power of Christ, the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, help us to grow as a church, to help one another grow in joy, in faithfulness, in strength, and in holiness as we look forward to the return of our King. Lord, may that promise of future life forever fuel our holiness now as we seek to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.